Hey everybody, welcome back to our program, New Hope Radio. Dave Therrien here with you. Also found on newhoperadio.live, YouTube and Facebook at this time. And we're in a series entitled Bible Basics. Matter of fact, we're going to wrap it up today. And we're learning in this series the basics of the Bible. And when I say basics, I mean it's like these are things that all followers of Christ should know. You know, Christ followers, if that's what you consider yourself, we all have a responsibility to grow in the Christian faith. As Peter said, we should be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us, explain what we believe and why. In this series of Bible Basics, we created a little mini-series on Christology, the study of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His person, His work, regarding the atonement for the sins of the world. Do you know He atoned for your sins? That's the message we have to get out, that He died for the sins of every person, everyone. And they can benefit from that. They can. By putting faith in Him as their Savior. So today we're going to wrap up our series and we're going to talk about the efficacious suffering, burial, and death. Oh, really, if you want to put it in the right order, suffering, death, and burial. We don't want to bury him before he dies. The efficacious suffering, death, and burial of the Son of God. And again, basic Bible knowledge. Efficacious means effective. So his suffering, his death, and his burial had an effect upon the humanity of the world. That Jesus did something that affected all humankind, just like Adam did. He's called the first Adam, right? When Adam sinned in the garden, it affected all of humanity. That was to follow, really, because there was no humanity, just him and Eve. But it affected all the humanity that would follow. Now, in Jesus, in his efficacious suffering, death, and burial, and of course, resurrection, that affected all the humanity of the world. So that's what we're going to take a look at today, because when you understand this, you're going to understand the reality of your salvation. And we need to understand the reality of our salvation. Okay? So number one, his suffering. We know that Jesus had degrees of suffering in his lifetime in various ways. He had the lack of support from his own family. You know, that's hurtful. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, working miracles, preaching messages of grace and truth. And yet, the Bible tells us his family thought, in the King James terminology, he was beside himself. That means not in his right mind. His own family didn't back him up. Then he had the desertion of the disciples. At the cross, they all fled, except John. The betrayal of one of them, Judas. Judas walked with Jesus for three years, participated in the ministry, ate with him, drank with him. And yet Jesus, no, I've chosen 12 of you, and one of you is a devil. 
so he wasn't surprised by the betrayal, but I'm sure, you know, it wasn't a pleasant thing. Then we have the attacks from the religious crowd. Man, you know, it's like, if you don't like somebody, there's nothing they can do that you will like. And that's how the religious crowd saw Jesus. That they didn't like him, so nothing he could do they would like as well. And they were all kind of ascribing his works to the devil, things like that. How painful is it when you do something good and they say that was bad? That's what happened to Jesus. And then the beatings from the Romans. They beat him. They plucked out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They smacked him around, whipped him. The crucifixion, he had to drag his cross up to Mount Calvary. Then they drove nails into his hands and feet. Very. He almost didn't get there. He almost didn't get there to die for the sins of the world. That's how bad it was. The Bible even tells us he was unrecognizable. Wow. And yet with all that he suffered, the worst of his suffering came from the act of bearing upon himself the sins of the world. But Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he... God the Father made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ became sin who knew no sin. You sing that song in church? He became sin who knew no sin. We sing it here sometimes. And it's a picture of the efficacious death of Christ. So in John chapter 19, verse 16, so he, speaking of Pontius Pilate, handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross. That means that after all of the abuse that he took, he still had to carry the cross. And he went to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Because it was a hill with a rock that looked like a skull. And there they crucified him. And with him, two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. So Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross and lifted up high for all to see. And then in verse 28 after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Now, it's interesting because Psalm 69, written like what, 700 years before, prophesied of this, where they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And wouldn't you know it, it says in verse 29 here in the Gospel of John, a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Now, we know that Jesus didn't bring it, drink it. That was a type of a pain reliever, an ancient day Tylenol. And Jesus wouldn't take it because he was there 
to take the full judgment for our sins. I mean, are you kidding me? Wouldn't you take a pain reliever if you could? But Jesus didn't. And Jesus wouldn't. Because he knew who he was and why he was there. So he let the Father put it all on him. Every bit. And that's a pretty good demonstration of how much he loved us. That he went to the extreme. Where he wouldn't even ease the pain. Not at all. So, I'm sorry, but, you know, the knuckleheads that don't recognize the love of Christ really are missing out on what life is about. They really are. And I think what gets in the way is the pride of the human heart. Not to be able to look at that picture of love hanging on the cross. How about the time of the atonement? When did this happen? Matthew 27:45 says, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sixth hour is 12 noon, Jewish time. The first hour being 6 a.m. So from 12 to 3 p.m., Jesus was judged for the sins of the world. And that's when it became dark. It's like Jesus was taken to the woodshed by God the Father. And he was bearing the judgment for all of our sins. And Luke recorded in Luke chapter 23, verse 45, it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land. That's 12 noon, right? Until the ninth hour, so from noon to 3 p.m., darkness fell over the land because the sun was obscured. And you know what else? The veil of the temple was torn in two. That was a miracle. The veil, they tell us, was about a foot thick. And it was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies in the back of the temple from the rest of the temple. And that curtain tore from top to bottom by God. What did that do? It granted access to God. Up until the sacrifice of Christ, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. But now, through Jesus, we all have access to God. So when the sun was darkened, it's probably more like a total eclipse of the sun. It doesn't say the whole earth was dark. There'd be no need for that. But the area where Jesus was, was dark. And it was so dark, you couldn't see Jesus on the cross for three hours. And then at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is the time reconciliation between God and man was made possible. We can pinpoint it. From 12 noon to 3 p.m. on that day, reconciliation between God and man was made possible. And that's why whosoever believes can be saved because of those three hours on the cross. So that's his suffering. And now we have his death. Any effective sacrifice must be brought to the point of death. 
If it's going to be a sacrifice, it has to die. An animal that was wounded would not suffice, nor would a wounded Savior. He had to die. Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood is the payment price for sin. And it was the precious blood of Christ that was the payment price for the sins of mankind. Okay? Throughout the Old Testament, it was animal blood, which merely bought time and was symbolic of what Christ would do when he came. For Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which means it was always in the mind of God that Christ would come and die for us. And then he kept himself pure, spotless, sinless, so his sacrifice would be accepted by God the Father. So, now here's the question. Who put Christ to death? Who really killed him? Well, it was a team effort. The Father was involved. Because in John 3.17, God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So God the Father played a part in the death of his son because he sent his son into the world to die. Okay. And then it was Jesus' own free will caused him to lay his life down. In John 10, 10, 17, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. So Jesus says, wait, I am willingly going to the cross. The Father sent me to die, and I will willingly oblige him, because that's his plan. That's his plan for the salvation of mankind. Okay, And then the Holy Spirit had a part in the death of Christ, according to Hebrews 9.14, which says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will it cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So Jesus offered himself through the Holy Spirit. Think about it. We've got the whole Trinity involved in the death of Christ. God the Father sent him. Jesus Christ willingly laid his life down, and he did it through the Holy Spirit. Man. And then, of course, we have humanity's part. Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, the Israelites, they all had a part. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter, finally, Peter, he went from zero to hero. When he denied Jesus three times that night, he became a zero. But then days later, he was in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit filled him. 
And now he became a hero with the filling of the Spirit. And he had boldness. And he went into Jerusalem and he preached the very message that caused him to cower. He's now preaching to the people in the city in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Oh, he's gathering an audience. And he said, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Peter is saying, yes, Jesus is of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Finally, Peter, you got some guts. Okay, thank you. He said, this man, speaking of Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. You crucified him by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. See, God will use godless people to accomplish his plan. God uses both. He uses people with God, and he uses people without God that are godless. And we look at this crazy world today, it's being run by godless people. And you think it's according to the plan of God? I would venture an affirmative. God can use anything and anyone. And God has a plan. And I think we're getting set up for the rapture. And then for the great tribulation to follow. And God is using godless men. He's going to use godless leaders in the tribulation. Right? The beast, the antichrist, the false prophet. Right? He's going to use them all. They're all godless. And he's using, he's using godless people today. People that are anti-God. And they're passing anti-God laws. And they're doing anti-God things. And they're hurting people. And God is using them. And those are the same kind of people that God used to kill Jesus. So he used all these godless people. And then, even Satan was part of it. In Genesis 3.15, there's a war that started back in the first book of the Bible. And after the sin, when Jesus came into the garden, he faced that serpent. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed, that Antichrist, and her seed, the Son of God. And he will bruise you on the head. He will beat you. And you will bruise him on the heel. You will kill him, but he will rise again. See, God has a plan. And nothing and no one can frustrate the plan of God. The best thing we can do, get on board. Get on board with God's plan. Because I'll tell you what, if you're not on on board with God's plan, then you're on board with Satan's plan. And it's not going to end too well. No, it's not. It's not going to end well at all. Then finally, so that was his efficacious suffering. It affected all of humankind. His efficacious death, which affects all of humankind. And now his burial. Jesus went into the grave a sin bearer. And he came out 
the Lord of glory. Man, see, when you stay faithful to God, there's always a good ending. You want a good ending to your life? Stay faithful. Jesus stayed faithful. And with all of that junk that he had to go through, he ended up in glory. And while his body lay in the tomb, his spirit went into the underworld. It went to Tartarus, and it went to Hades. Tartarus is a place where the fallen angels from Genesis 6 are held. In 1 Peter 3.18, Peter tells us, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit? And then it says, In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Oh, who are these spirits in prison? Well, he explains who they are in verse 20 who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So the the reason God brought the flood is because these angels left their first estate, cohabitated, they saw the, the, the women of the earth, how they were beautiful, the daughters of men, and they had children, the Nephilim. And God said, that's not right. And he took those angelic beings and he threw them into Tartarus, a place of darkness. And they're there right now. And Jesus and the Spirit went there. He made, he made a proclamation. And he said to all those angels, you lost. I defeated the devil. I defeated you. And you lost the battle. And then he went to Hades. Now, Hades had two compartments, paradise and torments. He went to paradise. And all the Old Testament believers were there. The thief on the cross was there. Daniel was there. Jeremiah. Noah. Jonah. Adam and Eve were there. Everybody was there. And if if Paul said in Ephesians 4.8, when he ascends on high... He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Who were those captives? Those people that were in Abraham's bosom, paradise. And he brought them all to heaven because now Christ had made a way. He opened the gates of heaven through his ascension into heaven. Now, torments are still there where the rich man went. Remember that guy? They're waiting for the judgment of the great white throne. So we've got these holding tanks. We've got Tartarus, where the angels are being held, that sinned in Genesis 6. They're waiting for the judgment of the great white throne. And all the unbelievers from the beginning of time, beginning with maybe Cain, they're all in torments, waiting for the judgment of the great white throne. And after the tribulation, and after the millennial kingdom, they'll all be sentenced to the eternal lake of fire. So the point today is that Jesus affected all of humanity through his suffering, death, and burial. Of course, then we know he kept his promise. Three days later, boom, he rose from the grave. And what did that do? It completely sealed the deal. 
And this is the point. Now, some people don't believe this, but I'll tell you what. What they believe is even crazier. It really is. To me, all the stories of the scriptures make a whole lot more sense than the opinions of people that really make no sense at all. And there's no good outcome. See, people can live in their personal opinion, but I'll tell you what, the outcome is going to be tragic with a capital T. Tragic. It's going to be a tragic ending and a tragic enduring for all of eternity. There's no escape. There's no way out. That's why now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you swallow your pride and you say, I need to investigate this Jesus. This Jesus who came, who loved me, who died for me, and he rose again. And he promises me eternal life. I'll tell you what, it's a win-win situation. You win eternity with God, and then you win, oh, a much better life here on the earth. It really is. I mean, my life before salvation, train wreck. (laughs) Not proud of it. Had a lot of good times and had a lot of dumb times. A lot of stupid times. A lot of dumb things I did. After salvation, much better, and I'm not doing as many dumb things. I still do them, but not nearly as many as I did before. And I get to live with the assurance of heaven. I have the hope of heaven. And hope means certainty. I don't know you, I don't know about you, but a message like this just encourages me. And I hope it encourages you and builds your faith and, and grounds you in the love of God because he does love you based on everything we've just seen today with the suffering, death, and burial of the Lord Jesus. Make sure he's in your life. And if you want to be part of spreading these messages, I hope you do, go to newhoperadio.live, click the menu bar, join us, join the Hope Club. $3 a week, keep these messages going on the radio and the Hope Club podcast. These messages are going all over the world now. And we send you an email every day, Monday through Friday, to build your faith as well. So I hope it helps you, and I pray that you would help us also. Thanks for coming along, and we'll see you next time.